This week I'm going to be looking at the word holy again and this is the third part and I promise you the final part in this mini-series which is part of our big series of seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. And my goal today is to understand why some New Testament passages speak of purity when they're using the words holiness but to clearly distinguish holiness as a positive quality. And I've emphasized positive there. So we're going to see how purity fits in, but we want to emphasize the positive. And um, what I'm going to do today is start off by asking why the Spirit is called holy. And then I'm going to look at the treasured possession idea, which is holiness with a purpose. And then I'm going to end up by looking at the New Testament, a new purpose. So I want to say I'm passionately motivated by this subject because it's so important to God. Since holy is a name he uses often for himself, it's a tragedy that it's so often distorted in its meaning. And I feel a real sense that God is with me as I preach this because uh, it's so dear to his own heart. And so as you can probably tell, I'm really passionate about getting this word right and doing God justice in the way we we use this word of him. So a quick summary of where we're up to. Uh, What does holy mean? Uh, The first uh, two sermons ago, the very first sermon I spoke from Hosea 11, where the northern kingdom, that's Ephraim, someone's called Israel or Ephraim, they were bent on sinning. And God is so upset with them, he says in Hosea 11 verse 2, the more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. My people are bent on turning away from me. So what was God's reaction to this? And this is, this is key because this is about his holiness. With the, with the, the common popular view of holiness, uh, God's holiness would cause him to punish them because of their continual sin. But what keeps God from destroying them is his holiness. So let's read on. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim because I'm God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. This is an amazing verse that goes directly against uh, much of what is taught. Uh, A misunderstanding is, as I talked about last time, is people thought at one time it was related to the Hebrew word to cut. And so the idea came about that, that God being holy was about like a cutting separation between him and us. And the tragedy is that this is such a negative idea. All of these ideas of holiness are negative. It's about not sinning, about being separate, being cut off. But actually, God's holiness is so positive and loving. And if there's one thing I want to do is to reprogram your idea of holiness from a negative one to a positive one, both for God and for ourselves. 
So if I want to give a definition of God's holiness, his faithful commitment, especially his loving commitment to his people. And just, uh, I gave a lot of verses in previous sermons, just a few verses to, uh, to illustrate this. Psalm 60, deliver by your power and answer me so that the ones you love may be safe. So deliver me by your power. God has spoken in his holiness. I will triumph. So God's holiness answers with deliverance. Psalm 89. But I will not remove my loyal love. That's chesed, the word we looked at a number of sermons ago. Loyal love from him. Nor be unfaithful to my promise. I will not break my covenant, nor go back on what I promised. Once and for all, I have vowed by my own holiness. I will never deceive David. See, his holiness is his commitment to his people, to those he loves. One more psalm. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and holy arm have worked salvation for him. You couldn't get it clearer than that, like it's his holiness that has worked the salvation. Um, you know, God, in the psalm here, uh, the psalmist is saying, sing a song about God's holiness. Tell people about this marvelous holiness he has. Tell people about it. Because God loves it when we do this. You know, imagine you're a parent and you overhear your child telling another child about how much they trust you and how they know that you'll always be there for them if they get into trouble. And uh, you hear the, overhear this, well, you're going to feel, wow, this is going to feel really good to hear your child, to hear your, um, your uh, um, child saying that. So um, this psalm is doing that for God, and we should do that for God. We should tell people about God's faithfulness to us, because that is really pleases him. So let's come on then to our first point, which is why is the spirit called holy? Why is he not called the righteous spirit or the powerful spirit or the good spirit? But instead, he's called the Holy Spirit. Much of the material I'm going to use in this bit is from Andrew Case, uh, who I'll put a paper reference in the notes. Um, well, what does God do? What does the Spirit do that's holy? Well, let's have a look at what verses that speak about his holiness. And I think it'll be pretty clear. He comforts us, encourages us. He comforts us and encourages us. Acts 9.31. So the church had peace and was being built up, walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. He prays with us, Romans 8, 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be sounded. What else does the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, do? He empowers us to abound in hope. He gives us hope. Romans fifteen thirteen, So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. A few more. 
Romans 8-11, he gives us life. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Uh, reveals deep and glorious things to us. 1 Corinthians 2.10 These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. And our last reference, he brings beautiful fruit into our lives. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So when we look at all of these things, very similar to what we saw in the Old Testament describing God's holiness there, it's the same thing. These are all signs of his commitment to us and his deep love for us. That is why he's called holy. And uh, so it's the same thing that the, the spirit, the focus isn't on moral purity. I mean, we'll see that that is it. That is a concern. But that's not what the focus, uh, the fruits of the spirit are the same kind of things that God shows to his people when he is holy. So the Holy Spirit then causes us to demonstrate this kind of love, this commitment describes God's holiness. So, let's look at where we're going, where we've been. We've looked at why the Spirit is called holy. Now we're going to look at the idea of a treasured possession, and I'm going to add on with a purpose. And then we're going to end by looking at the New Testament, a new purpose. And I'm trying to build a progression here. So I'm going to add a new idea in part two, and then another new idea in part three. And that should build the bridge between the old and the new and enable us to hang everything together in a consistent way in the scripture. So let's look at the treasured possession uh, with a purpose. So last time we saw how there were there was another dimension to holiness, and that was the idea of being God's possession, being his treasured possession. And we looked at Exodus 19, verse 5, You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be a kingdom of priests for me, a holy nation. And actually, this is a poetic structure here. We get verse 5, you shall be my, you shall be my treasured possession. And then we've got two statements among all the peoples, all the earth. And then verse six parallels verse five. You shall be a kingdom of priests for me, a holy nation. So you can see that treasured possession and holy nation are paralleled there. They're, they amount to the same thing. That expression, treasured possession, is a very interesting one. It doesn't occur very many times in the Bible. And one of the times it does occur, King David had accumulated through all his battles, he'd accumulated this treasury of gold and precious things. And it was like his like private private storehouse of treasure. And in the end, we read that in, in Second Chronicles, he gave it all to God. all to God. But it was like the prize of all the things he collected, his special treasury of precious things. And that's the same word as is being used here. 
And uh, so going to the idea of possession, we saw last time that when Moses came, saw the burning bush and came close, God said to him, take off your sandals because this is holy ground. And we saw that it wasn't because his feet were cleaner than his sandals. His feet were probably smelly and worse than his sandals. But in that culture, taking off your shoes was a mark of acknowledging ownership. But being invited to take him off was uh, like an invitation to come in. It was a welcome. So God actually was welcoming him by doing that. Um, and uh, in that culture, when you entered a house, you took your shoes off as a respectful acknowledgement that you were on someone else's property, someone else's space. Um, even in Canada, if you're visiting somebody and they're standing in the doorway and not sure whether to come in or out, you might say to them, hey, take your shoes off and have a coffee. And that's like an expression of welcome. And that's the same thing God was saying. So holy ground marked God's personal space. Now, I'm going to make a key step in the argument here. I'm going to say that holiness is God's treasure. It means if people are holy, they are God's treasured possession, but that possession is for a purpose. So I'm adding in the word purpose here. So let's work out what this means. To be holy is to be God's treasured possession. Then my next step is, so he is totally committed to them. And we saw that, you know, that's the definition of God's holiness. He's totally committed to them. Um, and they are his treasured possession for a purpose. Now, this is very important because I could spend some time showing you about the purpose of everything that was called holy. So, for example, the Levites were a tribe. And they were set apart as being holy for the sacrificial system, for cleaning the temple, for looking after all of the sacrifices, for everything like that, the tribe of Levi. And because of that, they weren't supposed to do any agricultural work. They didn't even own land. Their food had to be provided by the other tribes so they could be devoted to their purpose. And their purpose was specifically in the temple. And so... The possession was for a purpose. Even objects, for example, a bowl could be holy, but the bowl was maybe for something in the carrying offerings or something like that. And it was holy because it was to be used for that purpose. Same for the special incense that was burned before God. It was, it was holy incense, but it was holy because it had a purpose. So what I'm arguing then is every time we see the word holy, which is a possession of God. It's a possession for a purpose. And so Israel as God's special people, the holy nation, were for a purpose. So what was that purpose? Well, the Bible is very clear what their purpose was. The, the, the purpose for, for them was to be a light to the nations, to showcase to the whole world the social justice, the love and devotion to God. So they were to be like a beam of light that, that spread out across the world and people could look at them and see what God was like. 
And when they failed to do this, they missed the reason for which they were made holy. Um, let me just give you a verse to support that. Um, Matthew 22, Jesus says, you quoting the, the law given to Israel, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. And, um, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. And this, he says, summarized the law. And those things were to be what, what all the nations could see typified this nation so they could be a light to the people. Um, they were to showcase this to the whole world. But of course, we know that they failed very, very much to do this. Um, Isaiah 52 is really clear about this isaiah 52 says break forth together into singing you waste places of jerusalem for the lord has comforted his people he has redeemed jerusalem the lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our god Now, what's so good about this is it's showing that God is demonstrating his faithful love, his holiness, to Jerusalem so that all of the earth will see this. And so the purpose for the nation being holy to God was to tell the story of God's holy salvation and to reflect other aspects of his character. Let me say that again. God's goal for Israel was that they would be a holy nation. They'd be special people, a special treasure. And because of that, for the, sorry, that would be for the purpose of reflecting to the demonstrations of the nations. Look what it looks like when God demonstrates faithful love. Look how faithful he is. That's what God is like. And there are two dimensions to that. One is what God does for them, like he brings them out of slavery, he he looks after them, he feeds them supernaturally, that kind of thing. That is one dimension of being a light to the nations, and that's the one that's reflected in these verses. But also, other aspects of his character. So Israel were to be are very fair in the way they treated the poor. They were to be, there to be justice. There were to be all kinds of laws that protected the weak from the strong. All these things, they were also to be a reflection to the nations, which is why God was so upset when the nation was corrupted, when the judges were, were be taking bribes, when there was just a mistreatment. And, and that was the kind of thing you can read in, in Isaiah and other books, how upset God was because this nation was to, supposed to reflect to the world it was their purpose to reflect to the world God's character what he was like so um, that then is what I'm that's that's basically summarizes what my second point is that um, the, the the special possession that Israel were this treasured possession was for a purpose and that's part of the word, the meaning of the word holy. And so let's look at where we're up to. We've looked at why the spirit was called holy. We've just finished talking about this treasured possession of the nation of Israel and them having a purpose. And now I want to build to the final point that, of course, we're 
going towards is how does this work out in the New Testament? And I've called it a new purpose. So we're now prepared to uh, make a bridge to the New Testament. And I'm going to start by looking at a verse that talks about Jesus' holiness. And uh, this is very clear. I love this verse. So Jesus' holiness is his devotion to a purpose. So John 17, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. I think we're fairly clear on that. And Jesus says, for their sake, I am totally committed. And the word there is holy. For their sake, I am holy. That they also may be holy in truth. So you can see the idea of Jesus' commitment to a purpose, then his holiness is his commitment to the purpose of saving us. And he's then given us a role. And so our holiness is connected with the role that Jesus has given us, sending us into the world. So this is a very, very helpful verse because it kind of links God's holiness to our holiness. And both of them have got this idea of commitment to this purpose. So uh, what about the verses that mention purity then? Because quite a few verses in the New Testament seem to speak about holiness and purity, they're both spoken off in the same breath. How are we to understand this? Well, let's take an example in Second Timothy. And first of all, chapter 1, he says, God who saves us and called us to a holy calling. So you get the same idea here, that we're called to a purpose, a calling purpose, the same kind of meaning. And it's a holy purpose that we're called to. So this is good. This isn't giving us any trouble at all. Uh, and then we see that the idea is introduced in chapter 2 of being clean so that we can be used by God. And so here it is, and there's a, there's a kind of development. In a large house, there are not only objects of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for noble use, some for ignoble. Now, ignoble is not a common word we commonly use, but um, basically what it means is that, you know, you get, you get, um, toilets, for example, uh, that are not used for a noble use in, in this language. Um, you get other things which might be, you know, uh, vases on the mantelpiece to have flowers, you know, that's an, a noble use for a container and things you eat from. And so there's a whole variety of things and some of the things you can use they're very, very clean, and so they're ready to use for anything you wanted. So, for example, if you suddenly needed a plate to put some food on, and you've got a whole variety of plates in your house, some of them are currently used for something dirty, and they wouldn't be suitable. Some of them, um, you can very readily use them. So their purpose, then, is connected with their, their cleanness. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, in other words, the, the ignoble, he will be a vessel for honorable use, holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So I love this verse because holy and useful are put next to one another with my 
you know, supporting my suggestion about the purpose. And really what it's saying is it's not that holiness equals purity, but it's like a prerequisite. If you want to be used by God for a purpose, you need to be ready. In, in other words, you need to be clean. You need to be cleansed. So that's very helpful. Um, so uh, what is our purpose then? How does this fit in with uh, with us? So again, an, another place where beautifully this ideas come together is First Peter chapter 2. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And he's quoting those verses that I began with today. Uh, so this is the, the name, the, 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 the uh, description of Israel. But what Peter is doing now is saying this actually also applies to us as a church. Peter is writing and he says, you, he's writing to the churches that he's writing this letter to. So you actually taking on the same role that Israel had. And then we have in order that. So this beautifully illustrates again the idea of possession for purpose. In order that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Oh, this is wonderful. Like, I'm just so excited by this because Israel were called to be a light to the nations. And here, basically, Peter is saying, you've got the same role. You're a light to the nations. And actually, that is your holiness. Uh, you are holy and you are called to be holy to be a light to the nations. This is your purpose. So this beautifully, beautifully matches together the Old Testament and the New Testament through the idea of possession for a purpose. So let me try and frame then uh, the connection with purity. And here I'm going to put them all together now. We are saved for the purpose of showing the character of God to the world. We're saved for that purpose, showing God's character to the world especially his holy love. Uh, why do I say that? Because there's so much emphasis. Jesus says to the disciples, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Um, the As we heard last Sunday, the, the, the unity, the oneness of God's people, particularly to be something that is uh, the the, 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 people see, that people in this world see and they're attracted to. Um, the, the work of the Spirit, as we saw earlier, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit bringing this love. So I want to say then, um, showing the character of God to the world, especially His holy love, His holy love. But also, His truth, His justice, and His integrity other aspects of his character. And so, what I want to say then, very clearly, holiness does not equal purity. Holiness and purity are not the same thing. But you can't carry out your holy purpose if your behavior is filthy. You can't carry out this purpose if your behavior is filthy. Often, some, sometimes verses in the New Testament just push everything together and just, uh, there's not clarity and separating it out. But when there's time to separate it out, 
we are to be clean so that we can demonstrate holiness. We're to be cleansed so our holy purposes can be carried through. So, um, so then, I'm going to summarize then in, in, in a slide here what this final step in my reasoning is, my, my argument, my logic from uh, being holy, us being holy, being a special treasure, possessed by God, possessed for a purpose, and then how this works out. So you have an individual holy purpose for your life. You have an individual holy purpose. So this is my final step. It's not just all Christians have got a purpose, and we have, but you this morning have a purpose if you are a Christian. This and um, So I'm going to argue this, and I'm going to say that for some it's full-time Christian service. You know, there were people who that's their go- that's what they're called to. But for most people, it's maybe a whole variety of things. It may be split between home, workplace, ambitions, some projects you've got, all kinds of things. Um, but there's a purpose, a role God has given you. And um, so what I want to say is that um, all of us can be holy 100% of the time. Uh, if God has given you something to do, don't get distracted, don't get polluted. So here's the idea then, that being holy is not just about not sinning, or being pure rather, but also not getting distracted from our purpose. Because God's called you to do something. He's put this amazing call on your life. And you are to focus on that purpose. And that is part of holiness. I'm trying to frame this in a positive way because I think the word holy is positive and not a negative idea. So, um, so let me, let me give you an example. Let me give you a, a, a story. Um, Jill and John are both training for the 400 meters in the Olympics. Now, if we use the word holiness, it's a complete commitment to this goal. Um, now, of course, this isn't a spiritual goal, but so, but I'm, I'm saying like as an example of how we can use the word holy, complete commitment to this goal. Now, at a critical part of training is, uh, is a period with what's called carbohydrate loading. When, um, the days coming up to the race, you have to be very, very careful what you eat. And Jill sticks precisely to her diet. But uh, John passes at Tim Hortons and he can't resist it and he goes in and eats six donuts and he does badly in the race. So John fails to be holy because he's not devoted to this goal. So uh, holiness then is being devoted. So Jill is holy because she's devoted to the goal. John is not holy. He is not that eating the donuts was sinful. It's eating the donuts was a distraction from the calling that he had to do. So uh, let's just try and, and put this move from races and donuts into what this looks like in our life. So holiness, I want to say, is positive. Holiness is not about keeping away from donuts. Um, no, by, nobody wins the, th- the 400 meters simply by not eating donuts. 
that's never going to get you a victory. And so nobody becomes holy simply by not sinning and not doing anything wrong. That is not going to, to, to keep you from, that's not going to make you holy. I mean, um, this, this laptop here doesn't, doesn't do anything, doesn't do any sin. That doesn't mean it's a holy laptop. Um, it's, it's, it's about, um, so, so holiness can't be phrased as a negative thing. So it's not keeping away from donuts, but it's positive devotion to the goal. And so let's put it another way. It's not a focus on not sinning. So someone's holy isn't focusing all the time on not sinning. It is a commitment to being useful to God. Therefore, we avoid sin. And I want to say commitment. I should have added on the slide a commitment uh, to be useful to God in the way he's called you personally. So I hope that's really clear, because this if there's one thing I want to get across in this series on holiness, is to switch it from being negative to positive. Um, I was talking to somebody earlier in this week about this sermon, and they said to me, yeah, you know, it's so demotivating when you, when the idea of holiness being like this perfection is just so demotivating. And, and this idea here is just much more motivating to, um, to being holy. And I absolutely agree in this. So a commitment to God to be useful, not about, not focusing on I mustn't do this, I mustn't do this. That's not where the focus is. The focus is, God's called me this amazing calling he's given me. I'm going to focus on this. Oh, that? Well, that would get in the way. I'm not going to do that because that gets in the way. So um, I'm going to uh, uh, add to the slide I gave you last time. Our holiness, I said, is a 100% commitment to God because he's 100% committed to us. And then um, I said, for us to be holy is to be God's treasured possession. And now I'm adding, but we belong to him for a purpose, and that is to reflect his goodness, love, and truth to the universe. And that's a slide I showed you last time, but now I'm going to add one more point onto that, which is your personal holiness. God has saved you individually for his holy purpose. Be 100% committed to living this out, including avoiding donuts when necessary. Now, you might say, well, you know, I don't know that God's given me some special thing to do in my life. And that's really not, we're not kind of trying to chase down some particular unique thing we're given to do. That's not, you know, God will reveal to you what you are what, what he's given you to do. And your focus should be on what he's given, what he's given you right now, like what's in front of you. But, um, the, the idea I'm trying to get across now is not becoming fixated on trying to find some special role that God has for you, but just living out what he's put in front of you with joy, knowing that he is delighted with you living to please him and see this holiness as something that can just bring joy to God's eyes because he looks at you and he sees that commitment to serving him. He sees uh, like a wanting to serve him. Even when you fail, even when you, you mess up, um, the important thing is you recommit to serving him when that happens to you.
So my last slide here, and I've added one more line from the slide I ended up with last time. So last time I, well, the, the first of the three ser sermons, I, I said, be passionately dedicated and 100% committed to God. God is 100% committed to you, so be 100% committed to him. And then last time I added one more point to that, and that point was, the world learns about God by watching you. So pay attention to what your life is communicating. And what I want to add now as the last point of the last slide of the last message is be ruthless about cutting out what do does not fit how God has called you to do this. And this may be generally God has called you, or it may be specifically whatever it is you, you sense God is calling you in your life. Be ruthless about cutting out what does not fit, and and particularly that would be sin. That would be the donuts. That would be uh, doing things that are going to bring dishonor to God, particularly that. But it could be distractions in terms of giving your time to things that are not part of why God has called you, even though they may not be wrong. So I want to leave you with this. I want to leave you overall with an idea of holiness that brings you joy, of holiness that you can just feel that commitment God has for you, and you respond with a commitment to him and saying, God, I just want to serve you. I want to bring you joy, and I want to show everybody what kind of a person you are. I want to love others with my life just so that people can see this that it's your love in me. I want to be be committed to justice, to truth, to all of those things, because I want to be a mirror to what you're like, because I know you're so pleased when your people do that. And so I want you to be, to see holiness as, as an opportunity for joy, an opportunity to bring delight to God, not something that you've got to steal yourself. No, no, I mustn't, I mustn't do that. I mustn't do that. But something that's positive and committed. So this has been such a blessing to me doing this mini series of free on holiness because I, I just feel um, a joy at, at understanding this part of God better, a joy at, at connecting with God at this level and feeling his pleasure in being understood in this way. And so I hope that you resonate with this as well. And I hope this has brought clarity to you and also reframed this word that is so important about God, so that when you sing songs of God's holiness or read scriptures about God's holiness, you can just take delight in the wonderful, wonderful meaning that has. So let's pray, shall we? Our dear Holy Father, our Holy Father, who loves us so much, who's so committed to us, we thank you, Holy Father, we thank you, Holy Spirit. We thank you, Holy Jesus, for the way that you are so committed to us. And may our holiness bring joy to you. May our commitment be so complete. Enable us, help us to be committed in the way you've called us to be. And just respect, reflect and respond to what you are in love to us, 
Thank you, God, for this wonderful and joyful teaching. In the name of Jesus, our Holy Savior. Amen.